At this time, I want to invite our lead pastor, Pastor Brian Worth. Amen. He's going to bring a message of encouragement. Come on, give the, the Lord some praise. Amen. Amen. God is good all the time. Good morning, good morning, good morning uh, to everyone in the house of the Lord today, as well as those watching online. Let's make some noise for those watching online. We welcome you wherever you're watching at, from your living room, your work. Don't just get, don't get caught. Or in your car, wherever you're at. Uh, it is a joy to be uh, with everyone today. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6. As you turn there... Uh, just want you to know that we are having our first ever uh, Kingsmen retreat for the men of Chapel of Change. It's happening in a couple months from now, but you need to sign up today, and it's going to be an awesome time. We have an awesome uh, guest speaker, powerful man of God. Uh, the men are going to come together. We're going to fellowship together. Uh, we may even play paintball together. I don't know. But um, I want to encourage the men to get involved. You could sign up in the lobby. There's a deposit that you would have to give, but it's going to be a powerful time uh, in uh, the Lord. Someone say amen. And don't forget, if you're a first-time guest here today, before you leave, we have a free gift for each first-time guest. Uh, it's in the lobby. After, before you leave, just go over there. It includes a free CD of my testimony that we want to bless you with. Get into your hands. We believe it's going to encourage you and to give you uh, fresh hope. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 through 10 is going to be our focus for our study this morning. And just want to remind everybody that as we sit underneath the word of the Lord, uh, the word of the Lord transforms us. The word of the Lord uh, builds us up. The word of the Lord uh, works in our heart. There's, there's something spiritually powerful and dynamic that takes place in our mind and our soul as we open up ourselves to the word of the Lord. Does anybody believe that this morning? Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6 through 10, the word of the Lord reads, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I love how the Lord opens that up uh, when, when he says, I am the Lord your God, that's covenantal language that's love language that's God saying I'm opening up myself to you I'm giving myself to you that's that's relationship language I love that about God uh, that we don't serve him uh, out of a contract or out of obligation we don't give because of obligation we don't serve him out of a contract mentality uh, but we serve him out of a love relationship mentality you know why because he starts off by saying I am yours I'm giving myself to you I'm opening up myself to you and then he says I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt now, you remember, uh, God's children were in slavery and bondage for some 300 years, and it was the Lord that brought them out with a strong uh, right hand. And we know um, that God is a master at bringing people out of situations. God is a master. And that's one reason why we praise him. That's one reason why we worship him. That's one reason why we clap and dance and shout. It's because he brought us out. Ooh, that rhymed right there. He brought us out. He's a master at bringing people out of the situation that they feel they're stuck in. All throughout the Bible and even today, God is bringing people out of depression, bringing people out of brokenness, bringing people out of failure. Has God brought anybody out in the house of the Lord this morning? Has he brought anybody out? Testify somebody. So he says in verse 7, because I brought you out, he said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image um, in, in the anything 
in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. Look at verse 9. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God. He says that again. I love that. I'm excited about that. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But look at verse 10. But showing love, has God showed any love to anybody in the house? But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let me just remind you, we, we are worshiping the Lord in part. We worship the Lord, not just because of us, but because of our kids, our grandchildren, our grandchildren's grandchildren. We want to set them up to experience the power of God. We want the favor of God to flow throughout every generation. That's one of the reasons why we praise him and study his word and, and come together. You got to come to a place in your life where you say the buck stops here. Got to come to that place in your life. I, I came to that place many years ago, man. I'm tired of experiencing curses and punishment and brokenness. I want my kids to experience the blessings and the presence, right? And I, I want to secure this for my grandchildren, grandchildren, grandchildren. I want them to be talking about me 500 years from now. Man, y'all are excited this morning. I want us to study uh, this morning from a little bit from the subject of one true God, one true God. And I want to remind you of a couple things, but then I'm going to I'm going to attempt to teach you uh, a deep thing about the Lord. It's time for you all to get some meat. Amen. So I hope you don't choke out. So I'm going to remind you of a couple elementary things, but then I'm going to get into uh, a complex aspect of God. But I want to remind you that Satan has tried over the course of centuries to deceive many people about God's true character. Satan describes God um, in a negative way, in a negative way. He, he paints a negative picture of God. And many people, particularly in our generation, have a wrong view of God. We, we uh, people in our generation, we describe God in ways that are contrary to the biblical revelation of God. Are you following along? Many have developed a wrong view of God, and some have got this view of God um, from their parents. Some have got this wrong view of God from the news. Some have got this wrong view of God just through life experience, and they think experience uh, uh, paints the picture of God. And some, some describe God as an angry God who walks around with a bat just waiting for you to mess up so he can clobber you. Some describe God uh, as a genie, just waiting to give you whatever you want in life. Some describe God as one that lives a zillion miles away and is not interested in your life. That's called deism. De deism believes that God does exist, but he's a zillion miles away and he's not interested in what we do. We got to be careful. And I want to remind you this morning as we look to the word of the Lord that what you think about God uh, is, is one of the most important things about you. What you think about God is one of the most important things about you. Your view of God is one of your, the most important things about you because our view of God determines our response to God. Our view of God determines our response to God. You are operating the way you're operating in some parts of your life because of your view of God. You do certain things because of your view of God. And if you have a wrong view of God, you're going to have wrong behavior. Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? So I want to remind us as we jump into this word this morning that the Bible is our revelation of God. 
the Bible, the, the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, it is our revelation on the true nature of God. It reveals the true nature of God. And one of the reasons why we study the Bible is to line up our view with God. Did you catch that? One of the reasons why we open up the Bible is to, is to line up our view with God's view because this world has a way of twisting our view on things. And we think just because the world likes it, we ought to like it. Just because the world does it, we ought to do it. And that's why we always got to regularly come back to the house of the Lord and the word of God for a spiritual alignment. Some will say alignment. That's one of the reasons why we're gathering today. It's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons is because this world has a way of pulling us and we need to regularly uh, check in to the house of God and get spiritually aligned. Someone shout amen. So in our study this morning, uh, I want us to help us understand some of the uh, true biblical nature of God. And some of this is going to be a reminder, but then I'm, I'm going to take you a little bit out there, uh, but I promise I'm going to bring you back, okay? Number one, someone say number one. Uh, God is highly relational. He is highly relational. Now look at verse six. I'm putting it up on the screen. The children of Israel have just been freed from Egyptian slavery. They're about to go into this journey to possess the promised land. And they're, they're going to go through ups and downs. They're going to need God like never before. And God opens up their relationship on this journey by saying, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Now, God has many names and titles that describe who he is. I don't know if you ever wondered or, or not, but some people wondered, why does God have so many names in the Bible, right? From Genesis to Revelation, there's different names. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nishi, Emmanuel, right? And some people say, why is there so many names for God? Well, the reason is, is because God is so big not, that not one name can totally describe him. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? So he reveals himself in different ways through different names because each name highlight a particular aspect of who God is. I feel the Holy Ghost in the house today. God reveals himself through his names. We know God better through his names. And one day we'll do a series on the names of God. But in Isaiah 52 verse 6 in the New Living Translation it says, I will reveal my name to my people, and they will come to know its power. So we know God more through his names. That's why we study his names. And as I mentioned to you, uh, here in the particular text, Deuteronomy chapter 5, God just freed his people from Egyptian slavery. And the first thing that God does to reveal himself is he says, I am the Lord thy God, your God. Now, um, when you read this in your Bible, you will notice that in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the word Lord is in all capital letters. It's in all capital letters. And when you see the word Lord in all capital letters, particularly in the Old Testament, um, it is the English name we get Jehovah or Yahweh. Someone say Jehovah. Oh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat this because I want you to get it. I'm going to teach you all a little bit. When you see the word Lord in the Old Testament uh, in all capital letters, L-O-R-D, it is the English word Jehovah, English name Jehovah or Yahweh. And Jehovah is God's most famous name in the Bible. It's used over 6,000 times to describe God. So when, God, when Moses asked God what his name was, God answered by saying Jehovah or Lord. In Exodus chapter 3 verse 15, listen to this. God answered and said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, all capital letters, 
the God of your fathers, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent you. This is my name forever. So I want us to pause and think about that name, Jehovah, Lord, all capital letters, L-O-R-D. It is God's personal name. It is the name that describes uh, God, the, the side of God that relates to us in a personal manner. And uh, I want to remind you this morning that we serve a personal God. We serve a relational God. Highly, God is highly relational. You need to know about the one you serve. You need to know about the one you call upon. You need to know about the one who delivered you, okay? He, he is highly relational, personal, in so much that God has always desired to walk with his people. He's always desired to walk with his people. Genesis chapter 5, verse 22, it says, Then Enoch walked with God. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Noah walked with God. Leviticus 26, verse 12, says, I will also walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. That's covenant words, relationship words, right? Love. He's always desired to walk with us. And the, the walk we have with God is not a tight rope type of walk. Anybody can remember an image of a person walking? Remember Circus Vargas he used to come a long time ago? And, and they used to walk on the tight rope, and this is a tight rope type of walk. I can't fall there. I can't fall there. You got to stay. I can't fall. And you've got that image in their mind. That's a tight rope type of, type of walk. That's not the walk we walk with God. The walk we have with God is more of a father holding the hand of their child. That's the type of walk we have. We got, we got to align our spiritual alignment with this biblical revelation of God. God takes us by the hand and he leads us through life. Leads us. I remember when my daughter was six years old, I used to take her to the Lakewood Mall and she used to be scared to walk in the middle of the mall because all the people would intimidate her. They, all the big lights would intimidate her. And it wasn't until I would grab her hand that she would be infused with confidence. And, and once I grabbed her hand, all of a sudden something changed inside of her and she walked around the mall like she owned the place. Why? Because her daddy held her hand. That's the walk we have with God. It's not a tight rope type of walk relationship someone say relationship now we got to be careful because satan is after our relationship with god he's after that there's one thing that satan wants is your relationship with god because he knows everything flows out of your relationship he don't mind you carrying your bible as long as you just don't have a relationship with god he don't mind you being an usher as long as you don't have a relationship with god he don't even mind you being a preacher as long as you just don't have a relationship with god because he knows your power flows from your relationship. Your transformation flows from your relationship. Your dynamic spiritual life comes from your relationship. And so he's been attacking our relationship ever since the Garden of Eden. I want to show you something that you probably have not seen. Just listen to this. In Genesis chapter 2, when it goes to describe the creation, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, listen, just listen to this. It says, then, get this, the Lord God formed man. You see this word Lord? It's capital letters. What does that mean? Jehovah. What does that mean? Relationship. This personal name. Look at, look, it just, it's describing creation. Then the Lord God formed man. And then Genesis 2.16. The Lord God commanded man. Look at this. All capital letters. What does that mean? Jehovah, what does it imply? Relationship. So listen to this. Here's a leadership lesson. God connects before he corrects. Did you catch that? He connects before he corrects. See, the problem with some leaders is they just want to correct, 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 and correct, 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 and they ain't never connected. You can't correct until you connect. That's a leadership lesson right here, but this ain't a leadership class, but I just want you to know. Relationship. The Lord God commanded man. And then that, that denotes the relationship, right? But notice what happens when Satan, through the serpent, 
comes along in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Listen to this. I want you to see. It's subtle because the devil is subtle. He's sneaky. Listen to what it says. Listen to what it says. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God, you catch that? It's describing what God did, right? The Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, now this is the serpent, this is the devil speaking through the serpent. Listen to what he says. Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Do you notice anything missing? Devil's sneaky. No. Lord God, but all of a sudden when the devil starts to speak, has God said, hmm, subtle, but there. What is he trying to do? The enemy attacked Adam and Eve's relationship with God because he knows their power flows from the relationship. He doesn't mind you carrying your Bible, going to church. He doesn't mind you lifting up your hands. Just don't have a relationship with God. It's called religion. It's called, that's called religion. Religion is serving God without a relationship with God. That's called religion, and the enemy... Don't mind us operating religion. Just don't go into relationship. So God is highly relational, and quality time is his love language. Quality time is God's love language. Someone say number two. God is highly jealous. I want to call your attention back to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 9. Listen to what it says. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, this is one of the most confusing aspects of God's nature. And I'm going to do my best to attempt to teach you this complex aspect of God. I'm going to give you some meat today. I hope you don't choke out, all right? But God is... A jealous God. The Bible talks about that in different places. Deuteronomy 32, verse 21, it says, God says, they made me jealous. They made me jealous. The jealousy of God is something that the entire Bible reveals. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 22, it says, are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy. This is one of the most confusing aspects of God's nature. It's confusing because many people don't have a full understanding of what it means for God to be a jealous God. But it's also confusing because the Bible calls jealousy a sin except when it's connected to God. It's confusing because over and over the Bible calls jealousy a sin, except when it's connected to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, the, the scripture says, you are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly over and over again the bible identifies jealousy as sin except when it's connected to god how is that how is that what's what's that all about i'm gonna i'm gonna attempt to help you to understand this nuance of of the jealousy of god so we need to understand that there is a worldly jealousy and then there is a godly jealousy. There is a worldly jealousy, which is most jealousy. And then there's a godly jealousy, which, which very few Christians know how to hold. Hello, somebody. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Paul reveals, he says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. 
So he connects the word godly to jealousy in this context because there is a godly jealousy that is different than the worldly jealousy. There's, there's worldly jealousy and then there's godly jealousy. There's, there's worldly jealousy and then there is godly jealousy. It's like, it's like fear. It's like fear. There's, there, there's worldly fear and then there's godly fear. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Over and over again, the scripture tells you, fear not, fear not, fear not. But there's also many scripture says, you better fear God. You better walk in the fear of God. What's the difference? Well, there's worldly fear, and then there's godly fear. There's worldly jealousy, and then there's godly jealousy, which most Christians don't know how to hold. So what's the difference? What's the difference between worldly jealousy and godly jealousy. What is the difference? I'm glad you asked. Let me, let me help you kind of with precision to help you understand the difference. Are you ready? Worldly jealousy turns destructive. That's why people end up hurting the person they say they love. Because worldly jealousy turns destructive. Godly jealousy stays love. No matter how far godly jealousy is pushed, it always stays love. It may become angered love, but it never becomes destructive love. In reality, worldly jealousy is love gone extinct. Worldly jealousy is love gone extinct. Worldly jealousy is about paying you back. Godly jealousy is about drawing you back. Worldly jealousy is about paying you back. I got I to gotta pay you back. You hurt me, I hurt you. You do me wrong, I do you wrong. Worldly jealousy is about paying you back. Godly jealousy is about bringing you back, drawing you back. That's why when the Lord finds you in sin, he doesn't destroy you. No, his spirit brings you conviction, not condemnation. And the conviction is supposed to bring you back. Bring you back to prayer. Bring you back to the house of the Lord. Some of you are here today for the first time in one year. You know why? Because God loves you and he's bringing you back. Some of you are watching by TV and you're, you're physically okay. You're mentally kind of challenged. You need to come back to the house of the Lord. You need to come back to the house of the Lord. Worldly jealousy is about paying you back. Godly jealousy is about bringing you back. Worldly jealousy is rooted in envy and self-centeredness. It's all about my way or the highway. Godly jealousy is rooted in true love. And remember, true love seeks the benefit of others. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Can I take you a little bit deeper? Worldly jealousy fights against you. Godly jealousy fights for you. Worldly jealousy fights against you. Godly jealousy fights for you. Anybody remember the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joseph, the one she was engaged to? Anybody remember the story of Mary and Joseph? Anybody remember um, when Mary got pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Anybody remember uh, the reaction of Joseph when he found out Mary got pregnant? No doubt, no doubt for a split second, Joseph thought Mary committed adultery on him. No doubt. For a spot, know it, for, uh, for at least a split second. Come on, Mary, you pregnant by the Holy Ghost? What is that? You expect me to believe that? Huh? No doubt, for at least a split second, he believed she cheated or, uh, on him and committed adultery. But does anybody remember how Joseph responded to that? Anybody remember? Just listen to this. In Matthews 1, 19, Matthews 1, 19, it says, And Joseph's, uh, her husband, being a righteous man, and get this, not wanting to disgrace her. Not wanting to disgrace her, planned to, to, to plan to send her away secretly. What? See, even though it looked on the surface as Mary committed adultery, Joseph still 
fought for her. Joseph still didn't want to hurt her. Joseph just still didn't want to put her on blast. Didn't want to, didn't want to parade her. He, he had every right. He had every right. You committed adultery in my mind. You committed adultery. You, 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 you shamed me, so now I'm going to shame you. The Bible says he was a righteous man. He followed the Lord God Almighty's ways. He says, no, I'm not going to do that because at the end of the day, she's my wife. At the end of the day, I'm not going to hurt her. Even though I may be hurt, I'm not going to hurt her. And the Bible says he put her away. He planned to put her. Now, now the Holy Spirit intervened, but in his mind, he was doing the righteous thing. Someone say amen. Can I take you just a little bit deeper? Just a little, just a little bit deeper. I promise I'm going to bring you back. Worldly jealousy, when pushed, will kill who rejects it. Worldly jealousy, when pushed, will kill who rejects it. Godly jealousy will die for the one who rejects it. Does that sound like anybody? Does that sound like anybody? Worldly jealousy will kill for the, the one who rejects it because it turns destructive. Godly jealousy, the highest height, will die for the one who rejected him. Does that sound like anybody? Someone say Jesus. Someone say Jesus. See, when, when, when God says he's a jealous God, what he's saying is, um, I'm loving you with this true intense love. That's what he's saying. Uh, the jealousy of God uh, is an overflow of true intense love for you. It's God saying, I, I want an exclusive intense love relationship with you. It's God saying, I want your complete devotion. That's what it means that God is a jealous God. I want your complete devotion. I don't want you cheating on me. So that leads me for us to think, what provokes the jealousy of God? What provokes the jealousy of God? Here it is, idolatry. Someone say idolatry. Go and get in your back to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Just listen to this. God says, you shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not worship them or serve them. Idolatry. Now, most of the people in America think of idolatry as in a third world nation. We think of idolatry as with shrines and temples. But remember, the devil's slick. Remember, he's slick. The devil is so slick that he sets things up in our life that we don't even know are there. America... Many Christians' hearts are filled with idols, and we don't even know it. So what's an idol? What's an idol? Let me help you understand this. An idol is someone or something that draws your attention and devotion away from God. An idol is something or someone that draws your attention and devotion away from God. So get this. Idolatry is taking a good thing and making it a God thing and thus ending up a bad thing. Did you catch that? That's how slick the ways of the enemy are, is. Idolatry is taking a good thing and making it a God thing and ending a bad thing. Now, God loves us so much that in the Bible, he compares our relationship with him as a marriage, as a marriage. We are, as believers in Christ, married to God. We're married to God. The Bible teaches we are, both male and female, we are, the body of Christ is, is the bride of Christ. Anybody ever heard that term? We are the bride of Christ. Now, it's interesting because there is a connection between how earthly marriages unravel and how our marriage to God unravels. There's a connection between how earthly marriages unravel and how our marriage to God unravels. Now, it is true 
that earthly marriages unravel because someone does something bad. That is true. Maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's idolatry. Someone does something bad. But you would be surprised at how many marriages come unraveled not because someone does something bad, but because someone does something good and prioritizes that good over their spouse. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? You'll be surprised at how many marriages come undone, not because someone does something bad. When you trace down the root of that situation, it is because someone done something good and made it a God thing, put it over their spouse, prioritize it over their spouse, and thus the good thing ultimately becomes a bad thing. So you hear in, in, in marriage counseling, often the hurt person will say, my parents' spouse is more important than me. My parents' spouse are more important than me. Or you hear someone say that's hurt in a relationship, his job is more important than me. His job, that's all he thinks about, is his job. Or you'll hear somebody uh, say in the relation, in the marriage relationships, the kids are more important than me. Every time you talk, she sees them kids, she gets excited. She'll do whatever, she, whatever for them. It don't take much for her to get excited over the kids, but she don't get excited over me. You'll hear someone say, sports have become more important to him than me. Or you could even hear, even hear somebody say, ministry has come, become more important to him than me. So what's wrong with your in-laws? Don't answer that question. What's wrong with your in-laws? What's wrong with a job? What's wrong with sports? What's wrong with your kids? Don't answer that question. The answer is nothing unless you prioritize them more than your spouse. Are you, is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Now, this is not a marriage class. This is about God. Because the same thing applies to God. And this is how the enemy sets up idols in our lives. They're not bad things. They're good things that turn into God things, and then ultimately they end up bad things. Is anybody picking up what I'm putting down? It's the same with God. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 through 3. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2 through 3. Listen to this. It says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's crafty, craftiness, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Listen to what he says. Somehow or another, your, your devotion, your devotion. You remember how excited you were when you first gave your life to the Lord? You remember how excited you were when he first delivered you from Egypt? You remember how you used to worship openly? You used to probably sometimes scream, lift up your hands. Sometimes some of y'all used to jump. But something came into our life that robbed God of his devotion. That's why sports can be an idol if it takes away your attention from God. Kids can be an idol if they take away your attention from God. Your spouse can be an idol if they take away your devotion to God. That's why the Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from adultery. Run! Run! Go the opposite way. Run from idolatry. I thank God um, today my wife and I are celebrating our 24th uh, wedding anniversary to the glory of God. 24 years to the glory of God. Praise, praise be the Lord God Almighty. We got married in a prison visiting hall, July 11, 1997, 21 years old. And although my wife and I are grateful that the Lord has blessed us with such a marriage, 
we do understand that we do not worship each other. We do not worship each other. God forbid, if I were to ever stop coming to church, she would keep on coming to church and worshiping the Lord. And God forbid, if she ever stopped coming to church, guess what? I'm picking up the kids, and I'm going to church. You know why? Because we do not worship each other, but we worship God, and our love from one another is an overflow from our love from of God. Someone shout amen. Here's the last thing that I would share with us this morning. God is highly loving. God is highly loving. Deuteronomy 5.10, this is what he says. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God is highly loving. And you know, it's interesting that our generation is confused about God's love. Our generation has tried to uh, redefine God's love. Our generation equates God's love as e approval for whatever they want to do. Our generation has a warped view of God's love. We, I'm talking about as a whole generation, has equated God's love for approval to do whatever we want to do. So we say, oh, we could do that. Why? God loves us. It's okay to live that way. Why? God loves us. You could keep on sinning that way. It doesn't matter. God loves you. Listen, just because God loves you doesn't mean he approves of your lifestyle. You could love your child. Doesn't mean you approve of their lifestyle. You still love them. I'm wrestling with some thoughts that I want to present to you about God's love, and I'm going to put them up on the screen. I want you to kind of marinate on this. But divine love forgives sins, but never ceases from willing their removal. Divine love forgives flaws, but never ceases to compel you to repent from them all. Divine love is pleased with the little, but never ceases to demand your all. Divine love forgives sins, but never ceases from willing their removal. Divine love forgives flaws, but never ceases to compel you to repent from them all. Divine love is pleased with the little, but never ceases to demand your all. You see, many people in this world, they don't want to father God in heaven. They don't want to father God in heaven. They want a grandfather in heaven. Many people don't want a father in heaven. They want a grandfather in heaven. You know the difference between a father and a grandfather? A grandfather, all he wants to do is make his grandchildren happy. A grandfather, all he wants to do is give his grandkids sugar. But not a father. A father has demands upon his kids. A father says, you ain't supposed to be living like that. You ain't supposed to be shacking up without being married. You ain't supposed to be lying on your test. You ain't supposed to be cutting corners at school. A father has demands. A father has demands upon them. Many people don't want a father in heaven. They want a grandfather in heaven. But that is not the God of the Bible. It's not the God of the Bible. God of the, the Bible loves us, but still never ceases to demand from us all our heart. Divine love is relentless. Someone say relentless. This means God is un, God's love is unyielding. It's unable to be, to be diminished. God's love hunts us down. God's love tackles us. Has anybody ever been tackled by the relentless love of God? Like God, divine love tackles you down. Oftentimes, people, uh, they misunderstand my walk with God. Sometimes uh, uh, people think that I just gave my life to the Lord, and then everything just went well, and now I'm serving the Lord today. And, but that's not how it went. Before I got right with God, I lied to God several times like many people did. I remember when I was a little kid, I surrendered my life to the Lord. But you know what? I lied to him. I lied to him. I didn't follow through. And guess what? God's love hunted me down. 
hunting me down. I remember when I turned it, when I was a teenager, I was in my living room and I was listening to a preacher on TBN. And the Holy Spirit gripped my heart through TBN on the, on the TV station, right? And right there, I lifted up my hands. I was all by myself with tears in my eyes. Lifted up my hand to that TV screen, and I, uh, I surrendered my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Right there, all by myself. Started going to Bible, stu uh, Bible study. But guess what? I didn't last long. I didn't follow through. I left God. But guess what? God's love hunted me down. Hunted me down. Hunted me down. And over and over and over again, the love of God relentlessly hunted me down. Till I found myself in that one man cell for the last time. And you know, the devil tried to tell me, say, you better not call out to God again. You already lied to him. You lied to him five times. But you know what the Holy Spirit said? Uh-uh. I'm here to hunt you down and tackle you down. And I finally got serious with God. And God gave me the strength to love him back. To love him back. Listen, you may be in a hard place right now. You may have lied to God. You, you may have been broken all your promises to God. But you're here today, and it is a sign that God's love is hunting you down. It is hunted you down. And God's saying, it's time for you to come back to my loving arms. It doesn't matter what you did as long as you repent from your sins. I'm here to take you back with no condemnation and no shame. Nothing can separate you love of God. Let's bow our heads in the presence of the Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just for a couple moments, I want us to think about what the Lord said to our hearts. What was God trying to get across to you this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed, everybody remain seated in the atmosphere of reflection. Let's just reflect upon the word of the Lord. What was God trying to get across to you? Maybe something has interrupted your devotion to him and it's time to rededicate your life to the Lord. Maybe something distracted you. God's love is here receive you back. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe there's someone here this morning that needs to rededicate their life to the Lord. I want to pray with you right where you're at. Very simple prayer of surrender. The Bible teaches if we confess our sin to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here this morning, if you need to rededicate your life to the Lord or surrender for the very first time, to pray with you right where you're at I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the grace of God respond to the love of God I want you to think about it for a moment is that you do you feel the presence of the Lord tugging on you every head bowed and every eye closed just think about it. is that you anybody here who needs to rededicate your life to the Lord, I want to pray with you right where you're at. We'll give you an opportunity to respond to the love of God. I'm going to ask that you respond by just standing up on your feet. Start a new season. Anybody who needs to rededicate your life to the Lord, stand to your feet. I see you. I see you. I see you. Hallelujah. I see you. The love of God is here. The love of God is embracing you. The love of God is taking you back this morning. The love of God is more powerful than anything you have done. For those of you who stood up, 
want to ask that you just say this prayer from your heart with me. We'll lead you in this prayer, and then I'm going to pray for you. Say this prayer. Lord God, I am sorry. I messed up. Please forgive me. Today, I turn from my sins. I turn from myself, and I turn back to you. Have mercy on me, God. Help me, God, to serve you with all my heart. Help me, God, not to look back, but to look forward. I surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me pray for you. Remain standing. Let me pray for you. Father God, I pray. I pray for everyone who stood up, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Father, you know what they're going through. You know the situation that they're in. I thank you for bringing them to the house of the Lord. I pray that you strengthen them with their inner man with might by your Holy Ghost. I pray that you strengthen their spirit and their mind, Lord God. I pray, Father God, that you fill them with the Holy Spirit and fill them with your love. I pray, Father God, that they have this desire within their heart to please you and to live for you, Lord God. I pray that they walk away today on fire for you, Lord God. On fire for you, Lord God. Help them, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand. Praise. Remain standing for a moment, those who surrender the Lord. For those who surrender to the Lord, listen for me to me for a second. Very important that you get connected to the house of God. We have Bible studies online or in person throughout the week. If you're a sister out there, we have women's groups. Pastor Sandy is here uh, to my right. I highly encourage you to get her phone number before you leave. If you're a man in the house, we have our Kingsmen ministry. God is moving in our men's life in a tremendous way. Pastor Terry is somewhere. I heard him right here. Make sure you you uh, get his phone number. Pastor Terry, you can meet him in the lobby. But you got to get connected. You got to stay connected. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand praise. I want to invite everybody to stand to our feet if you're able. Let's all stand to our feet.